Well, good morning. It's wonderful being with you here on uh, this glorious, milder Sunday. And uh, like I've mentioned a few times in the the Bayside services this weekend, I feel like I'm crashing Pastor Rob and Christie's uh, 20th anniversary party. And uh, but but did you notice what he said that that the 20th anniversary is the year you give China around? So um, that's. Consider me your gift and uh, <laughs> enjoy. And like it. Um, that 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 series is going to be exciting over the next couple of weeks. Um, that succeeding on on God's team. And I thought since I'm crashing parties, I may as well crash this teaching party as well, and uh, just jump in on that series as well. I thought it'd be apt because um, you're looking at um, a soldier and some athletes and uh, some farmers, and so uh, me being all three, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm soldierish. Um, I, I've done a boot camp myself, and uh, so I kind of feel like, yeah, that's basically so, some kind of military experience, isn't it? And uh, an athlete, well, obviously. And, um, and the farmer thing, I, I've, I've got a tomato vine in my backyard, so I feel like I'm as qualified as anyone to crash this uh, teaching series party and to talk about succeeding in God's team. Actually, this whole idea of succeeding in God's team is very close to my heart because um, I recognize very clearly that this life deal really is a team sport. And if you want to succeed in life and do well in life and take the ground that God desires you to take, to shine the light He wants you to shine, to be the person that God has destined you to be, it is important, no, it is imperative that we understand that this life deal is a team sport. You don't have to read very far into the Bible until you notice a very clear statement being made by God in the second chapter of Genesis. God is just reflecting upon creation and the good job that He's done. God always does a good job. And he's looking at creation and the the heavens and the earth, the sun and the stars, the moon. He's looking at the creatures in the waters. He's looking at the creatures roaming the earth. And he comes and he looks at man, Adam, whom he has made in his image to know him and to be known by him. But, But he makes a reflection about this picture, not that there was anything wrong with Adam because God cannot make a mistake, but there was something incomplete with this picture. And he would say, Hey, you know what? I love what I've made here, but there is something missing here. It's not good for man to be alone. So God made Adam a partner. In doing so, establishing a pattern that resonates still to this day. That this life deal was meant to be a team sport. If we're going to survive in this jungle called life, we need each other. If we're going to thrive in this life that God has given us, We need relationships because life is indeed a team sport. That's the reason the wisest man who ever walked the face of this earth besides King Jesus, King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, as he's reflecting about life, just pondering upon all of his possessions, his position, his success, he would start to distill that which was truly important in life. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he would talk about how, you know what, two are always better than one. Or in other words, hey, you know what, life wasn't meant to be done alone because life is indeed a team sport. 
You've got to understand that two are better than one. Is that, 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 that passage wasn't penned for the sake of wedding ceremonies, even though they're, they're really good during wedding ceremonies. But he was actually just reflecting about life. Two is always better than one because one can get overpowered. One can get crazy hot. Uh, or crazy cold, uh, well, if they're that living in Melbourne, it's most likely hot, and then cold on the same day. But, but is, one person, what, what a sad picture, but two, when they're together, hey, they can look after each other, pick each other up when they fall down, keep, keep each other warm at night. Something always good happens within the context of community. Come on, life is indeed a team sport. That's the reason in the book of Psalm chapter 68, the psalmist is writing and talking about what God wants to do for all of us here in this room. He finds the isolated, he finds the alone, and he sets them in a family. Or in other words, he doesn't want us to live life disconnected. He doesn't want us to do life solo. He wants to put us in a place, in a space where we recognize we are an important part of a family. We are indeed succeeding within God's team because life is indeed a team sport. We need each other to survive. We need each other to thrive. That's the reason the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 would analogize the Christian life and the church of God as a body with many parts. You're one big body with many parts. The eye can't say the ear, not, you're not required. That The hand can't say the foot, you're ugly, hide away. No, we all need each other. For us to operate in the synergetic manner we were designed to operate. For us to do everything God has designed us and destined us and desires us to do. We need each other. Life is indeed a team sport. Jesus would even emphasize it even further as he talks about community and connection in John chapter 13 and verse 34. He says, a new command I give to you, love each other. As I've loved you, love each other. It's by this everyone would know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are you catching what Jesus is throwing here? Are you smelling what he's cooking? He's, he's speaking in very definitive terms. A new command I give to you. No more discussion, no more debate, no more doubt. I want everyone to know. I want you to look out for each other. Understand that life is a team sport. Love each other just as I've loved you. It's by this everyone would know that you are my disciples. This would be our distinctive as a people of God. This would ring loudest, clearest, and truest about the true church of Jesus. Not the songs that we sing or the sermons that we preach or the conferences that we run or the programs we produce. No, all of those things are subordinate to that which was meant to be most clear about our lives and our life as a church, Bayside. That we loved each other like Jesus loved us. That we recognized that life was a team sport and we were meant to do this and win at this together. Relationships, indeed, it all hangs on this. So it is important for us, dare I say imperative for us, to consistently, continually come back to a point where we wrestle with this question. What does it really mean to be a part of God's team? What's my place and my part within His grand work here on the earth? How am I going in my relationships, in my connections, in my friendships, not only in my broader world, but here at Bayside week in, week out? Because in so many ways, my capacity to survive in this jungle called life 
my ability to thrive in this world that he's given us all hinges on these relationships because life is indeed a team sport. So what I want to do for just a few minutes, and I'm not even kidding, it's only a few minutes, because like I say, every time I'm here, I don't eat before I come. So I come hungry, and my tummy starts grumbling about 10-minute mark into my sermon, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit peckish right now. I'm feeling like a little bit of a subway stop on the way back to Cheltenham. So, so, so I'm going to do this for a few minutes, and then get some carbohydrates into my system, because I don't want to be passing out and like, you know, crushing past the rub. And so, but even though you look like a fit, athletic man who does work out and take care of himself, okay, I'm I'm glad you don't follow Aaron's like kind of just just the lazy bone kind of just the let himself go after marriage kind of example. Pastor Rob, the picture of masculinity. I just want to unpackage for just a few minutes um, how in a, in a practical way we can actually deepen in our relationships, strengthen our friendships, and from season to season and from age to age grow deeper into this team that God wants to do so much in and through. I want to explore how we can not only understand but live out this great reality that life is a team sport. Uh, the way that I want to do this is by um, just looking at a verse in the book of uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got that, would you just go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hey, you know, you don't even have to believe in the Bible or come along to church or be a Jesus follower. Come on to instinctively and intuitively know that life is a team sport. Am I right? Is this something inside every single human heart that knows that we were made to know and be known? We hunger for it. We thirst for it. If you just think about the movies that you watch, the TV programs you watch religiously, the books that you read, they all have one thing in common. They all deal with a topic of relationships. Why? because it is something so intuitive, so instinctive. There is such a hunger and a thirst in every single human soul to connect. It's in all of us. Well, come on, we, we know this instinctively, don't we? You don't have to be a Jesus follower. That's the reason um, most of you here in this room in some way, shape, or form are addicted to social media. Because you can't handle the thought of being cut outside of the communal loop. That's the reason the government can like, um, threaten you with a $400 fine and a loss of six demerit points if you check your phone while you're driving, but you still do it. Because you can't handle the thought of a message coming to you, like a text coming to you, and you can't handle five minutes in a car not knowing what your friend wants to say to you. You can't go for a 15-minute drive without checking what your friend had for breakfast on Instagram. You can't handle the thought of that drive from home to school without the thought of, having a look on your Facebook and see if someone's talked about you or put a picture up of you or someone's tweeted about you. We are addicted because it is so true of the human soul. Come on, we were created to connect. And I love how the scriptures gives us some very practical but poignant insights about how we can grow in this relationship, how we can deepen these friendships, how we can embrace our role within God's team more and more. Hebrews chapter 10 is a fascinating um, chapter. Um, for those here in this room who aren't Christ followers yet, if you're exploring Christianity and you're trying to work out what the whole deal is, what's the gospel, what's the good news, what's this message, Hebrews chapter 10 is actually a really good chapter to have a look at. Hebrews chapter 10 just provides us with a framework that, that God is love. 
He loves us not necessarily because we are lovely, even though I can tell that you are all very lovely people, very aesthetically pleasing out here in the Frankston region. Uh, He doesn't love us because we are lovely. He loves us because that is who he is. In a sense, he can't help himself. But humanity has fallen. Humanity is broken. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a cultural commentator to recognize this to be a truth. There is something wrong with this world. And this something wrong has created a disconnect. And since the beginning of time, humanity has been trying to claw their way back to God and to bridge this gap. Humanity in their own strength cannot. So God in his goodness, God in his grace, God in his mercy, and God in his love bridges the gap for us and sends us Jesus to make up the difference. So here we are all now trapped in this glorious, beautiful web called grace in which we have our lives redeemed, our lives restored, and our lives renewed. And here the writer of Hebrews is talking about this beautiful good news, and not only this good news that we can understand with our heads, but now we can live out with our lives, and he talks about this is now how we do it. And his first port of call is talking about how life is a team sport, how we must live out this gospel within the context of community, connections, friendships, the church. And now he breaks down very specifically how we not only live within this context, but we thrive within this context. And he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. I love that. Let us consider, team, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Hey, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but make sure you encourage one another and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. I just want to pick that verse apart a little bit, just make a few observations, shape them into challenges that I will propose to you, but also propose to myself as well. If you're taking down notes, now is a good time to pull out your notebooks and your pens. If you want to scribble stuff down. If you like taking down notes with electronic devices, if it's like an Apple device, you can pull that out now, an iPad or an iPhone. And thank the Lord Jesus for Steve Jobs as you do so. What a wonderful piece of technology. If you have like an Android or a Blackberry device, put that away. I've got nothing for you from this point on. (laughs) Because I'm in the Frankston area, if you have a tattoo gun and some spare space on your chest or your thigh, you may want to pull that out now as well. What? Hey, just making some cultural reflections. But maybe just a few thoughts that can help you, that can help me grow in relationships and experience what it's really like to be a part of God's succeeding and growing team. Okay? The first point I want to reflect on is this idea of, and let us consider. Let us consider. If we're going to grow our relationships, if we're going to deepen our friendships, it will require a deliberate consideration on our behalf. We can't be haphazard about this. We can't just hope this is going to happen. We aren't just going to expect this to just unfold organically as we we just go through life. Relationships will grow, won't they? We'll just draw um, to one another. We'll just stake. We don't live in a world built on the principle of deep, genuine, biblical connection. We live in a world that actually is setting up a matrix that is quite 
opposite to what God would desire regarding our connections. You're saying, wait a second, Dan, didn't you just say that, you know, that this whole desiring to relate, desiring to connect is instinctive, it's intuitive, it's inside all of us? Yes, that is true. But like I said, the world we live in is not built up on these principles. The world that we live in, come on, the culture and the society in which we exist actually would desire to pull you away from one another and make you focus primarily in on yourself. We live in such an individualistic world, so centered on ourselves, my f- space and this face and that book and my iPhone, my iTunes, my iPad, everything is about me, me, me. You're the most important person in this world. We live in a world uh, here in Australia where in 1976, about 10% of households were single dwellings. One out of 10 households had someone living in there by themselves. Fast forward now 40 years, the statistic is closer to 25%. A quarter of the households in Australia today have people living in them by themselves. We are learning more and more to do life by yourself. All you need is a mobile phone and your own house that rings and, 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 and you're happy. You can just do life by yourself. I go to work by myself. I, I eat by myself. I travel by myself. We are so used to it in this day and age. And unless we are very aware, unless we are very deliberate, unless we bring some effort to the table, unless we bring some consideration to this problem, we will just get swept away in the current and the rip and the tide of this cultural phenomenon this individualistic reality. Has anyone ever been caught in a current or a rip or a tide before? Has anyone? I have it because I'm afraid of the ocean um, because sharks like Chinese food, number one. And number two, <laughs> if there was any kind of like, you know, bravery in my heart, it kind of dwindled away with the, the production of Bondi Rescue. Has anyone seen Bondi Rescue before? Bondi Rescue, it should be more aptly called dragging random Asian people out of the surf because that's what basically <laughs> happens every single week. And have you ever watched Bondi Rescue? Same deal, every single week, young Korean brother comes straight off the plane, goes straight to a souvenir shop, buys a pair of board shorts with an Australian flag on it, jumps into Bondi, starts swimming around, gets caught on a rip, gets dragged out into the open water, Hoppo's gonna jump in again, drag another Asian guy out of the surf, happens every single week. So I've never been caught in a rip or a tide myself, but I've heard that when you get caught in a rip, you get taken somewhere you don't want to be. And we live in a culture, we live in a world that if we aren't deliberate in our relationships, you will end up somewhere you don't want to be. So we need to be considerate. We need to, in a sense, put our work gloves on and our thinking caps on as we process through how am I really going to deepen and strengthen my relationships in a God-honoring way in a world that is so focused in on itself. We must consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I like that concept. This is the second concept we'll be looking at. Spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Here the writer is challenging us upon this fact, that for you to genuinely succeed as a part of God's team, it can't just be you succeeding. It's also about the person to your left and to your right succeeding as well as we champion each other's causes, come on, as we cheer each other on, as we spur our brothers and sisters on towards love and good deeds. That word spur in the Greek is a violent word. It's broken down into two sections. It literally means come alongside someone and stab them, antagonize them, 
prick them, prod them, provoke them. It's not to be done in a, in a cruel or, or vindictive manner, no. But because we are so committed to not only my success, but to others' success, I will come alongside my brothers and my sisters and I will cheer and I will cheer and I will cheer. I don't win unless you win as well. But here's the cool thing. When you win, I win as well. There is something powerful that is unlocked in community when we truly allow this truth to become a salient reality in our hearts. That your win means my win. So therefore, your pain is my pain shared as well. I'm not in this alone. I want to see a victory in my life, but that can only be seen when you see a victory in yours as well. We spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Yeah. I was just making some really interesting reflections. Who's been watching the Australian Open uh, this week? Or, like, the Australian Open. It's been, it's been hot. Let's, like, Mr. Uh, Captain Obvious, am I right? And... <laughs> And um, I, the other day, I was just finding myself sitting watching um, uh, the tennis, just being really judgmental. Uh, have you found something? Like, oh my goodness! Like it's like you're a professional athlete. Like you got like just put an ice. And, and so I'm in my head going to myself, how hard can it be? So so to, to to what I did on what day was it? The 44th? I think it was Thursday or Wednesday. It was one of the really hot days. I decided I'm going to go and feel this for myself. So I got grabbed my golf clubs and I went out and tried to play nine holes in 44 degree heat. Okay, I came back after half an hour with my eyeballs like just, you know, dehydrated like prunes. And I come home and say, you know, I'm not going to whinge about these tennis people anymore. You know, God bless them. Whatever they're doing, this is, this is some hard work. What's really interesting, I'm not going to mention names, but there's a particular Australian tennis player right now who's not getting a lot of love. From the, Lates is always going to be loved, man. Love him or hate him at the end of the day. He's, he's done. Oh, don't mention names. We'll just call him BT at this stage, all right? <laughs> It's, 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 it's an interesting, just a cultural reflection about why people don't warm to this player. And, and there are different cultural factors, might be even, I'm trying to process through. And then you kind of um, juxtapose that against these, the, the, the two young K guys, the, the Kyriakis and the Kostanopoulos or whatever. Okay, uh, not trying to be racist at all. If you're Greek here, God bless you, love you, thank you for Sivalaki. I like that there's these, the, the, how much, that, how, much, how much the Australian public warm to these guys? And so what is the difference? And it really hit me that what, what Aussies really love, I think what people just really love, are people who make a, like, make a choice to go hard and to go hard at it because they know there are a lot of people relying on them and that, that if they win, others win, and, and you're not just playing for yourself. And there's something about the opposite. When, you, when, you, when you're playing, and you don't care about anyone else at all, and it seems to be all about you. There's something about that, not only in Australian society, but I think just in society, that, 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 that we just don't f connect with or vibe with. The, the reason a lot of us are feeling the way we're feeling about this tennis player who will remain nameless, we'll just call him BT, is, is because he's not exhibiting something which is true to all of us. We want to find ourselves in a situation where I'm working hard, but you're also winning at the same time. And I know that your effort is making a positive difference in my life. Yeah. As a people of God, we're challenged, come on, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Hey, really quickly, because my tummy is really rumbling now. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together. My next point is this, don't 
give up. Come on, don't give up. At some point, that person to your left and to your right is going to annoy you, but don't give up. <laughs> this wife turns to her husband and goes, he's right, that, that's, you're annoying me right now. You, you didn't look like this when we got married. Like, no. <laughs> wow, I just created family tension. Don't give up. It's so easy to give up on each other in this day and age. It's so easy. You know, um, last night, I think Pastor Christie was talking about how um, she was so happy to, to enter into a, a life sentence without parole, um, you know, with Pastor Rob. Because nowadays, so many people see ma even marriage is just, you know, a 10-year lease and don't give up. It, it, it's so easy to find yourself in a situation where you can just cut someone out of your world just like that unfriend on faith. Don't give up. Fights are par for the course. It's natural and normal to get your nose out of joint or have someone rub you up the wrong way. It's the way we process through, come on, and learn how to hang on through that that makes us genuinely, come on, the team that God will use to change the world. Come on, don't give Hey, offense is standard. I've heard so many conversations at church. People come along and go, oh my goodness, I'm just so sick of just people in this church. They're so judgmental, which is kind of an irony because you're being so judgmental in saying everyone's judgmental. And then they'll go on and say, and they're all hypocrites as well, which is technically true because you were judgmental about somebody else and you didn't even see that you were being judgmental, which makes you a hypocrite, which therefore your assertion is true. There are hypocrites everywhere. You're being one of them. So, so... <laughs> Finding judgmental hypocrites everywhere within church, hey, this is, not, this is not weird. If you're here and you're surprised, I'm so sorry. Get used to it. We're all broken, but by the grace of God, it's our capacity, come on, to continue to extend grace to others that builds us into a community, that grows us as a family, that strengthens us as a team. Fighting is normal. We need to learn how to take that fighting and turn it into forgiveness. I love that. I love how the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians chapter 3 says, bear with each other. Or in other words, he's giving us a heads up. At some point, you guys are going to annoy each other. Because that's what it's like, fellowship. You know, two fellows in a ship. You can't just hang out in a small enclosed space and start. You'll get racked off with each other. This is standard. But bear with each other. And you want to know how to bear with each other? Learn how to forgive each other. You got something against someone? Let them off the hook. And if you want to learn how to do that, he says, forgive like Jesus forgave you. He is the model. He is the inspiration behind every single piece of forgiveness. He's saying, reflect on how much he's let you off the hook. How dare you hold someone on that hook in the light of what he's let you off from? The only person in this room who's exempt from the discipline of forgiveness is the one who has never done anything that requires forgiveness from King Jesus. Is there anyone here this morning? No. My hand is not raised. Let each other off the hook. There's a great Chinese proverb that says, when leaving on a journey of revenge, make sure first you dig two graves. What the Chinese proverb is saying, the Chinese are brilliant, great at proverbs and fried rice. And <laughs> Sorry, that's just in my head from last night. Uh, I like fried rice. It's like, who would have thought of it? Rice, fried, oh, that's amazing. Okay, so... <laughs> He's saying, if you're leaving on a, like a journey of revenge, hold bitterness in your heart, 
offense in your spirit, you're heading off to take somebody out, hoping that they feel the same pain that they've caused you. You know what? At the end of the day, most likely you can take them out. You can take them out, but recognize this. Your life is destroyed in that process as well. Dig to graves. The transverse is true as well. The scriptures make it very clear. In a sense, I believe the Bible would propose to us this picture as well, that if you would choose to leave on a journey of forgiveness, be prepared for two pardons. The one person will be let off the hook. That faulted, frail fool that lets you down, they'll be let off the hook. But do not forget, another faulted, frail fool will be let off the hook as well. And that is you, and that is me. Liberty and freedom can only truly ever be tasted when we understand how to forgive like Jesus forgave us. When you learn how to forgive, come on, you're not just letting someone else off the hook. You're getting off the hook as well. Bear with one another. Forgive each other your grievances. Forgive like Jesus forgave us. Maybe there's a letter that you need to write, the text you need to send, the meeting you need to make. Maybe there's some forgiveness that you need to offer during the course of this week. I believe that you would be brave enough and bold enough and guided by the Spirit to do so. For therein lies some freedom for you. Okay, so let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and do it all the more as you see, see the day approaching. Encourage one another. Everyone say encourage. encourage. Say encourage. encourage. Say encourage like an Australian. Encourage. encourage. Say encourage like an American. Encourage. encourage. Say encourage like a Greek. Encourage. No, I'm Encourage one another. Encourage literally means to give life to each other. To speak a word that will bring life to somebody else. What an amazing notion that inside each and every single one of us is the capacity to release a word that will bring life and courage to somebody else. And we need to be a people of God if Bayside is truly going to hum with the life that God wants to give, not only to you, but give to your world, give to Frankston, give to Carum Downs, give to Patterson Lakes, give to the Peninsula area. If you're really going to be the life force that he destined you to be, we have to learn how to allow encouragement not to be rare on our lips, but to be all over the place in this community. Encouragement literally brings life. That's the reason in Proverbs it says, in your tongue, in your mouth, in your words, there's a power of life and death. With your words, you can ruin a life. With your words, you can resurrect a life. What an amazing thought. What a salient warning. Yeah. That's the reason the Apostle Paul would go even further and just say, hey, you know, at the end of the day, only speak in encouragement. Don't ever let an unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful to encourage somebody and to build them up according to their needs. Don't even speak a word unless it's going to build somebody up. If it's a line ball kind of deal, keep your mouth closed. Don't speak unless you are building somebody up. There is life in your words. No one has ever been over encouraged to death but many a soul has suffocated from lack of it. 
And I really believe that if we're going to grow as a part of God's team, we're going to not only have to learn how to consider, how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We don't only have to like persevere and bear with each other as we don't give up, but we also have to learn how to encourage one another. And we need to do this all the more as we see the day approaching. We live in a world where encouragement is so rare. It is such a precious commodity. It's not because it's not there. It's just because so often it is unmined. And maybe some of us here in this room have got some life to bring this week, maybe some life to bring this day. And the way we can do it is by just taking some time to reflect upon another, to observe something positive, to speak that out in public. It's awkward, but it's always awesome. Encouragement brings When it comes to being an encourager, I always want to be accused of being a maniac, never a miser. Do it today. I know for my wife and I, we celebrate our 16th year anniversary this February. I know I don't look like I've been married for 16 years. I was married at 12. I was one of those children, (laughs) grooms, and kind of sad story, but but we've worked through (laughs) it. And, and, and I've enjoyed the journey. I've enjoyed the ride. It's not hard. My wife's a hottie. It's, it kind of, like, I get a head start. But by the end of the day, um, I know that for my wife and I over the last couple of years, uh, after I was very um, specifically and pointedly encouraged by a mentor of mine to make sure that out of everyone in this world, every youth pastor I meet, uh, every young speaker I mentor, every church that I minister, every, every member of a congregation that I, that I pastor, that the person I encourage more than anyone is my wife. And, and, and it sounded obvious and it sounded like, duh, but it, something, something just dawned in our relationship when I really started becoming come on, more deliberate in my life words over my wife. And it goes beyond. It starts with, hey, be- hey baby, you're beautiful. Hey, you look, hey, look amazing. It goes deeper than that. Hey, honey, your wisdom and your insight and, and, and the way you do this and, and you never... I love the fact that my wife grows and experiences life through, through just words as simple as, hey, honey, I saw you do this. It made me feel this way. I think you're amazing. Yeah. I'm going to double dare. I'm going to triple dog dare. A husband in this room, come on, to speak life words over his wife. Come on, women here in this room, encourage your man. Believe me, there aren't many people cheering him on in his workplace or in his life or, you know, on the golf course because most likely he's a bad golfer and all his friends are laughing at him. So you make sure it's you encourage. Come on, encourage your children. Encourage. Come on, let's be maniac encouragers, never misers. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together. Hang in there with each other. And learn how to encourage each other. And do this all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen? There was a book that I read a couple of years ago. It was called Into the Wild. It's the biography of a young man named Christopher McCandless. Christopher McCandless was... um, it's a young American kid growing up in middle America and just got really dissatisfied with life and the whole rat race. So he did what a lot of people dream of doing, sold everything, gave everything away and just went to live in the wild, to live an adventure, experience creation. 
to appreciate the sunsets and the sunrises was one of his desires. He wandered around the Alaskan wilderness and, and, and sadly, he only lasted a couple of years. He died of food poisoning a couple of years into his trek. With his body, they found his diary. And what was interesting what was, was what was in his diary. Uh, he talked about his incredible interactions with creation, the sunrise and the sunsets that he, that, that he saw. He, he talked about the times where he felt just so unencumbered by life and how life really was, this adventure there to be enjoyed. But as they dug deeper into his diary, they found that the only times he really talked about true joy was when he came across different people in his journey. And he penned and he coined a phrase that I believe is incredibly true. He said, you know, therefore I conclude, happiness is only real when it's shared. That's cool. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's biblical. God wants you to experience life and life to the full. He wants you to succeed as a part of God's team. He wants to bring glory through your life and every part of it. But we need each other to do so. We need to share this because life is indeed a team sport. As I wrap up our time together, I just want to do two things. I want to pray for someone here in this room who needs some restoration and some healing in a relationship. I believe there's no powerful force in this universe than the loving force of Jesus Christ by his spirit here in the earth. And I would love to invite Jesus humbly into this situation. And I'm believing for some healing and some restoration for someone here in this room. And then after that, I would love to pray for someone here in this room who right now doesn't have a relationship with King Jesus. But first, let me just pray for you here. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, Dan, um, I would love some prayer regarding a relationship right now. Somehow I've grown disconnected. Somehow I've grown isolated. Somehow I've not been able to process through this bitterness or this anger. I would just love to pray with you and for you. So with every eye closed and every head bowed and no one looking around, I'd just love to pray with you. If that's you, would you just, just, just wave to me right now? Just say, hey, Dan, would you pray for me? Just pray for me, Dan. I just see your hands. That's so cool. That's so cool. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And by you just waving your hand, that is just a sign for help, saying, God, I'm humbling myself. Lord Jesus, I speak grace into their life. I pray, Lord God, you will give them the opportunities to see restoration, the words to bring healing. Lord God, give them the courage to stay on this journey of forgiveness if that's the journey they need to head on. And I thank you in advance for the life that you're going to bring, the liberty they're going to experience, the freedom they're going to feel as you, Lord God, bring healing and restoration into these relationships. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. I want to let you know that there is no one in this universe that loves you more than Almighty God. And a relationship with Him is the most important thing that you could ever embark upon. And it begins as simply as just saying yes to a God who has already said yes to you. He has considered you worthy of his absolute best. He was spurred on towards a love and good deed on a cross one, one, one dark evening. He never gave up on you and he won't give up on you. And as a counselor and a comforter and a friend, he wants to be your greatest encourager. 
So if you're here this morning and you've yet to say yes to Jesus, I would just love to pray with you and for you. I promise not to embarrass you. But with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you saying, you know, I want to say yes to Jesus this morning and come into a relationship with him, would you just give me a quick wave as well? Just give me a quick wave. If that's you here this morning. I see a hand. You can put that down again. That's so cool. Awesome. Or I'm going to say a prayer and I'm going to invite everyone here in this room to say the prayer with me, especially if you put your hand up. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I want to thank you so much for giving me yours. I receive relationship. And I thank you, God, that this relationship will restore my life, will heal my life, and from this moment on, guide my life. 